Thank you for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this will lift your heart and encourage you, set your eyes more fully on Jesus as we open God's word together. You can join us anytime in person or online in our live stream. You can find that at redemptionhilldc.org. If you're not in D.C., we encourage you to get involved in a local church where you live for the sake of encouragement and accountability in a local body, but we're also glad to have you join us and, and walk through this study with us. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill, you can do so at our website, again, redemptionhilldc.org. My name is Rich. I'm one of the pastors here, and like I said, some of you guys know me, some of you don't, and that's cool. You know why? Because there are times where I don't know myself. But praise be to God that although I am unknowable to myself, he knows me. And when I feel unlovable, he loves me. And this truth that I embody is true of all of us. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to jump in. Cool? Join me in prayer. Father God, you are good in ways that we don't even have words for. So I just pray, God, that the meditations, my heart and the words of my mouth, I pray that they would be find, found pleasing in your sight, God, and I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase. Paint a picture of your gospel this morning, Lord. We love you. We submit this time into your loving and caring hands. We pray in the name that is above all others, the beautiful, powerful, and magnificent name of Jesus Christ, amen. Henry Matisse, you guys know who he is? Any art lovers? Well, Henry Matisse once said that to see something familiar as if it is the first time you've ever seen it requires great courage. What he means by that, it's this. Like, it, it's so easy to be so familiar with a thing that you kind of lose awe and wonder and the beauty of that thing. And that's something that happens to all of us. We can become so familiar with something that we just lose sight of how powerful, how beautiful, and how good it really is. And I've actually experienced this a few weeks back here. So I've been here for about eight weeks. And I do this thing that I think all church folk do. Um, the first time I came there, I sat right there where my wife, Frances, my beautiful bride, is sitting. And ever since then, I've sat in the same seat. <laughs> I do that. And it's, for some reason, we always do that, right? We find a seat. We get comfortable. We stay there. Um, a few weeks ago, in the, in the evening service, because I, I get to sit through both services, I sat in the back. And that little shift, like a position of place, it really did change change everything for me because I, purpose, I purposely moved and, and what I saw was worship and what I saw was praise. I saw people with their hands up. I saw all sorts of people with all sorts of flavors, praising, singing, shouting God's praises. It was actually a beautiful and profound thing. And it helped me articulate a feeling that I've been having since before I said yes to God and to this church to come here and serve. I've been wanting to feel something. I know what the gospel is. I know enough of the Bible to bring to recollection if I'm ever in a jam, but I, I wanted to feel. I wanted to be freed up 
to feel. And, and what I want to do right now is read a passage that has been super helpful to me in feeling and articulating what it is that God is stirring up in me because I believe it is he, God, is stirring up the same things in you. So what I'm going to ask you to do is to please stand if you are physically able for the reading of God's word. We are in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now the title and the only point of my sermon is this. God is able. Now, in some churches, that would elicit a whole bunch of amens. So I'm going to say it again. God is able. Muchas gracias. Our text today sits securely inside of the Apostle Paul letter to the church in Ephesus. And now this little letter, right, this, these six chapters that we find in our Bible have in it two central themes that kind of hold it all together. The first is this. Christ, Jesus, he has reconciled all of creation to himself and to God. We can amen that. The second is this. Oh, this thing, this Christ reconciling all of creation to himself and to God, we're just going to call that Christian truth. The second kind of central theme in Ephesians that Paul uses to hold all of his teaching together is this. Christ has united all people from all nations to himself and to one another in the church. Amen. So we're going to call this Christ uniting all people from all nations to himself and to one another in the church, Christian living. So we have Christian truth and we have Christian living. And if we get that, if we know that, this teaches us a very crucial lesson that isn't very obvious in the text when you just read something like this. And that is this. Christian living must flow from Christian truth. You can't have one without the other. You can't live the life that Christ affords us without the truth of who Christ is. Like, we can't do it. It's an impossibility. We are trying to do something. If, if it's outside of what I've just articulated, we, we will be trying to do something that just cannot be done. We can't live the life of God without God. It does not work. It just doesn't. It's also interesting to note that this text kind of serves, the text that I just read, those two verses that's commonly known as a doxology, it serves as a kind of door from one to the other. So as Paul is trying to help his readers uh, move from the greatness of God in his truth to the greatness in God to the life that he has called us to live, he speaks these words, he writes these words, which are a doxology, which is a formula of praise. That's all that means. Words that we form together to give praise to God. 
as we move from truth into living, as we move from the word of God to the way of God. Paul breaks out in praise. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever spoke of the things of God or read scripture, especially aloud? If you read it aloud and all of a sudden feel something, reminded of something powerful that has happened in your life, reminded of how God loved you when you were unlovable or how he knew you when you were unknowable or how he helped you when you felt unhelpable. Those are doxological moments in life where we can just stop, lift up hands, and praise. We just stop and praise because something has happened that is worth praising. We are made aware that God has moved in such a powerful and undeniable way that all we can do is pause and praise. And this is a huge component of the Christian life. Praise. But we often get what praise is intended to do mixed up with what we choose to praise. Does that make sense? We have these things inside of us, these desires. And we praise those things because we want them. When we ought to be praising God for giving us what we need. And in this text that we just read, I believe there is a biblical vision being cast for praise that will help us as we seek to love and live into the ways of Jesus together as a community. Because this is the thing. I believe that God is doing something powerful. I don't claim to know what it is, and I don't claim to have, like, special revelation, but if you were just to sit back and watch and observe... It's plain, it's evident, God is doing something. And whatever it is, I am sure it's worth it. But we need to collectively both pray and praise because they're not the same thing. And we're going to see that and get into that in a second. Um, Also, just want you to know that this two verses, this doxological break, this praise break that we see in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, it kind of concludes the second of two prayers in Ephesians. So what I want to do right now is read the first one. The first of Paul's prayers in Ephesians is found in chapter 1, verses 15 through 21, I believe. Reads like this, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised them from the dead and seated them at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, 
but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Praise. This is a prayer for spiritual knowledge. This is what Paul is asking God for, for these people that are going to read this letter. Paul wants, wanted them, and I believe God wants us to know today, he wants us to know of the hope to which we are called to. The very thing that we are called to. Because I think sometimes we fall in love with the journey. And we make much of it. And I know I, I, I came here because I wanted to do God's work. And then one day I was convicted feeling like that it's very easy to make a lot about, make too much of God's work and not make enough about the God who works. So there's an old school Presbyterian preacher, uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse. He once said, prayer changes nothing. And everybody was like, and then he followed it up with, God does. Right? So our prayers aren't the thing. God is the thing. He is always the thing. He is always the goal to which we march. And Paul here in this prayer, before he starts unpacking all this great Christian truth, he's trying to lead his people towards, and, and this very heady knowledge, right, because he talks about all these great theological, high theological truths. What's his prayer? That they would know the hope to which they were called to, that they would have spiritual knowledge granted to them, because what he was saying can't be known without the sovereign grace and goodness of God. The second of Paul's prayers found in chapter 3. So what I want to do, and there's a point to all of this if y'all are trekking with me and we're like, where is he going? There's, there's a point to all of this. But we have to read these prayers because in it, again, there's a biblical vision being cast for right praise that I think we need to engage in as a family of faith, as followers of Christ, as a church so that we can see God's will and way break out in D.C. in ways that we have probably only dreamed of. I just hope you're okay with dreaming. Because if you're not, you're going to have trouble praying. And you most definitely won't be praising. So I want to read... Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to look at verses 14 through 17a, half of 17. It reads like this, for this reason, you notice how Paul starts the same prayer with for this reason again. He unpacks all of this great truth, right? And then he says, for this reason, because of this great thing that I have just wrote, written to you about and spoke about, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, Paul prays here asking God the Father for power. 
But it isn't just any power that Paul is asking for. Well, the power that Paul is speaking of is a Holy Spirit filled and fueled indwelling of Christ in the hearts of his hearers through faith. Now, what I want us to notice is the way that Paul paints a picture of the Trinity for us in his prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Beloved, what if all of our prayers had in them a Trinitarian picture of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And what if we allowed this beautiful and mysterious doctrine, this thing that we call the Trinity, to shape our prayers, our practices, and our praise? What if we just gave in to that? You, it's clearly seen in this prayer. All of God, not just some. All of who God is, is receiving all of Paul's prayers. Everything that Paul is, is, becoming, is coming before all of God in prayer. And... If we have some trouble trying to understand that, like, my, my question would be this. Like, why wouldn't we let our prayers, practices, and praise be shaped by the blessed doctrine of the triune God? Because, after all, this is the same doctrine that laces our story of salvation together. What the Father planned, the Son secured, and the Holy Spirit applies. When you pray, let all of you pray to all of God. Why? Because he is worthy of our praise. God is able. Verses 17b through 19. Now Paul begins with that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You're getting the praise breaks, right? And after stating this main petition in verse 16, like the, the chunk that we just read prior to this one, this petition for strength in the inner being, Paul asked God to grant us the strength to grasp the ungraspable love of Christ. That's what he's praying for. And why does he do this? Why would this be his main petition? Why does he ask this? Well, because as one commentator puts it, we will not live as God's holy ones until we know that we are first of all his beloved ones. We can't live without God's love. We just cannot at least not a life worth living. That's not the life that Jesus came to grant us. In fact, in John 10, 10, he says that I came that you may have life and life in abundance. A couple of y'all know that, right? It says the thief comes to steal and destroy, but not, not me. I come that you may have life and life in abundance. That selfish bent in us, that, that only leads to a life marked by thievery. That's not the life that Jesus 
has for us. So Paul prays this. We can't live without God's love. Or let me put it like this. We won't know anything about Christianity, the king, or his kingdom until we know the love of Christ that surpasses our ability and capacity to know anything at all. This is what Paul prays. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Praise be to God, because God is able. He is. And I know that's like a cliche thing that gets thrown around in churches, and you probably heard it 4,000 times. And it'd be cool if I threw an adjective, right? And it said, God is very able. Or he's really able. And it kind of breaks my heart because it should be enough to say God is able. Verses 20 to 21. Let's read it again. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now we get to my favorite part. To him who is able. Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything hard for me? God is able. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. God is able. Jude Verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, God is able. And what is he able to do? What does the text say? More than we ask or think. And I know probably saying that some of y'all got tight. This ain't prosperity. This is a promise. Matthew 7, 7. Jesus speaking. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. God is able. Do you start to see why Paul breaks out in these praise breaks? Have you heard all this stuff before? Does it get a little old? Has it lost its awe and wonder? Because it shouldn't. God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Now, I want to be certain to state that when we say God is able to do abundantly all we ask or think, we're talking about God glorifying Christ exalting prayer. Amen? We're not talking about asking to be rich, asking for the perfect boyfriend. Well, there's nothing wrong with those petitions. And you, you've heard it even preached from this pulpit, like we all have admissions, we all have those desires, but unsubmitted ambition, unsubmitted desires, those are dangerous things. 
And I'm going to tell you why. Because they lead to spiritual complacency. And spiritual complacency feels like death. When you don't think you need anything from God anymore, that you've got it figured out. God graciously keeps us, but is going to hurt. And he will be good because he is able. That's why we praise him. Even when he can't, he can. Even when we're shaky, he's firm. When we lie, he tells the truth. God is able. And that shouldn't grow old. It shouldn't. Remember this whole thing. And I didn't say this at the beginning, but I'll throw it in now. If you look at Ephesians, when you see this great Christian truth, and then you see this Christian living, you start to see, remember the two central themes? The first one, that Christ reconciles all of creation to himself. The second is that he unites all people to himself and to one another in the church. In, in chapter 3, before this prayer starts, he starts talking about the great mystery being revealed to him. The great mystery is that Jews and Gentiles are both heirs. It's as if Paul is saying, those who you thought weren't down are. And now in Christ, they've been revealed. Paul is breaking out in praise because he's saying what has to happen is going to be an extremely difficult thing. Because everybody's going to have to get a little uncomfortable. Because your people and the quote-unquote other people now have been brought together to be what? One people. And oneness without sameness is this thing that, this theme that keeps coming up even in my short time being here and, and in conversations. And everybody wants this thing, but we can't have this thing without God. We can't. We need him to hold us together. God is doing a beautiful thing here, but it's going to require our praise. It's going to require us to live doxological lives, constantly pausing and breaking out in praise. Now, Ephesians 3, 20 to 21, this passage, it, what it does for me is it paints a picture of what I call a holy imagination for God's work. Because he says God is able to do what? Far abundantly more than we ask or think. Does that ever landed on you funny? I swear I prayed and thought about this for six months. Like what does that mean to have a holy imagination for God's work? To imagine it's a dream of what God is able to do. If a people come together as one, not the same. Right? I'm not talking about diversity for assimilation's sake. I'm talking about oneness without sameness. If a people can come together before God, submit it to his will and to his way, imagine what God could do in our communities, in this city, in this country, in the world. But it has to start at home first. It has to start with us. It has to start for us, this church. It has to start with us. So th this passage, um, let's see how I could put this. It, it also paints a picture and teaches a really important lesson that I, I, I don't think I've really heard articulated by maybe one or two people, but it's important to note. 
Do you notice that Paul acts for these things and then he ends up in praise, right? Do you see how he starts the prayer? Now to him who is able, our prayers should not only be shaped, right, by the, the beautiful mystery of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they also should begin with the invocation of God's greatness and it ends with the proclamation of God's greatness. Like, beloved, our prayers can't end with our petitions. That's usually what happens. God, I want A, B, or C, I need this, amen. And some of us, and I thought about whether I should say this or not. I'm just going to go ahead and say this. So y'all going to love me anyway? Some of us are still saying, well, I'm waiting for God to answer a prayer. We're still waiting for God to answer the prayer. You ever start to think that maybe he answered the prayer and the answer is no? Because you asked out of pocket, out of line? Because it wasn't about his greatness? It was about your wants? I've done it. I'm guilty. I ain't throwing rocks at you. I'm telling you, I'm a, I look around, I'm probably a little older than most folks here. I've taken a few bumps, and it's usually because of that. I, I lose my place in line. I get so wrapped up in God's great love for me that I start slowly thinking, I'm God too. And I can will and work these things up for myself. And look at Paul's prayer, what he's asking for. For God to reveal his great knowledge and to bring all people together, right? Something that can't be done without God. But the way that he does it is Trinitarian, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all of God. But he invokes God's greatness, and then he ends by proclaiming God's greatness. And I know that you and I, both of us, and believe it or not, I'm almost done. So that's kind of cool. I know that you and I can come to God as we are. I read Matthew 7, 7. We can come asking and knocking. We're allowed to do that. We can do that only because there is one who made the way for us to pass through torn veils so that we can with one voice shout God is able. Like the, the reason that we can do all this stuff that I'm talking about is because Jesus made a way for us to do that. So if you want to know why you can shout with praise and say God is able, well, because of Jesus. Why we can even invoke God's greatness, why we can submit our petitions, why we can proclaim God's greatness, why can we do that? Answer is Jesus. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect, and one who, I'm sorry, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need.
God is able to do what? Whatever God wants. <laughs> Whatever he wants. And if you look at both of the prayers, there's another component in here that pops up, God's glory. So we may be praying for whatever we want, but the chief end of all prayer is God's glory. My question to you is this. If the answer to your prayer is no, does God still get the glory? It's a hard question to ask yourself. It's a hard question for me to ask out loud. And the answer is, of course, he gets the glory. Because Jesus has made a way for that to be so. And that way isn't always easy. But guess what? It's the only way. We've tried the rest. We've tried and we've exhausted every possibility, every avenue, everything that we thought we might be able to do. We've exhausted it. We're tired. And y'all can stop me. If I'm only talking about myself, you can say you're bugging. We're tired. And we want stuff. It's okay to want things, beloved. As long as the chief end of your desires is God's glory. Because he's good. And he's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Now to him be the glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. When does the praise stop? It doesn't. Just in case you were wondering, when I say God is able and that this is a biblical vision for praise, so when do we stop praising? You don't. We don't. We are to live doxological lives because when we were unknowable, God knew us. Because when we felt unlovable, God loved us. Because when we felt unhelpable, God helped us. And, and that love, that knowledge, that help came through the once and for all beautifully powerful and magnificent cross work of Christ. We have access to the power of praise even when things don't go good. I want to challenge you to embrace that and lean into that. To praise God when things aren't going good. See what happens. See if there's anything there that will help you get through the day when you feel like you can't. Allow yourself to be swept up in all of who God is at all times. And, and here's the last thing, and if the band wants to come up, you can start coming up. I told you it was going to be shorter. And it's done on purpose. 
I want you to think about this stuff during the week. <laughs> I want you to try to fill in gaps. It's fun. Not easy, but fun. So as you go throughout your week this week, and you seek to try to find some sort of sense of understanding or some sort of peace with whatever it is that you're going through, just recognize that all of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, laced your story of salvation together. And for that, he is worthy to be praised. God is able.